Welcome to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication. Providing you with tips and strategies you can use to improve your patient engagement. This is 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. In the 10-minute series, I take one communication question or issue that doctors have raised, dig deeper into it with some research, then give you a strategy that you can use in your practice today, and I do it all in about 10 minutes. Today's show is about reaching more patients by reducing cultural bias in your metaphors. Metaphors and analogies are favorite tools of poets and doctors. They invite us to see a person, an idea, or an object differently by inviting comparisons. Providers use them often to explain complex physiological phenomena to patients. They may even improve physicians' communication. So, what's the problem? Sometimes, they don't work. They can even give patients the wrong impression, and you usually can't tell if this is happening. If you're in academic medicine, you have even more to think about. Are your students getting your meaning? Will their future patients? But there are things you can do to increase your chances of getting across the message you've worked so hard to craft. Let's talk about why you're taking your metaphors for granted. Metaphors and analogies are powerful language tools. They're even important to the way we think. Nearly 40 years ago, linguists Lakoff and Johnson wrote Metaphors We Live By. It's a book explaining how metaphors structure the ways we think about the world, not only the ways we speak about it. The authors write about the many metaphors comparing argument to war. We tend to talk about argument in terms of defense, tactics, destroying opponents, and so on. We see argument as a kind of war or battle. But then they ask us to imagine a society where argument was not metaphorically seen as a war, but maybe more like a dance. It's possible that if we were to witness an argument in such a society, we might not recognize what we were seeing because it did not look like an argument or a war to us. We live by metaphors. We're surrounded by them. But this almost invisible nature of metaphors can work against you when you're creating a metaphor or analogy for patients. This is because it can be hard to step back and notice what we're taking for granted when we use metaphors. But that's just what I'm going to help you do. A recent JAMA editorial asks physicians to be thoughtful about the metaphors you use often. The author, Britt Trogan, remarks on physicians' practice of, quote, drawing on the commonplace to express the complex. The question is, what are you considering commonplace? Your metaphor hinges on what you assume is common between you and your patient audience. Being aware of your metaphors is important because comparisons only work if the audience knows at least one of the items being compared. Now, you know that a metaphor and an analogy is a comparison. Rhetorician I.A. Richards famously gave names to the two halves of the metaphor. One is the tenor and the other is the vehicle. In the argument as war example from earlier, the tenor would be the argument and the vehicle is war. The tenor, in your case, is the medical phenomenon. The vehicle is what you're borrowing the traits from, the commonplace. In one of the most recognizable medical metaphors, the tenor is cancer and the vehicle is a battle. 
Now, this is where it gets tricky because what counts as common is local to communities and social groups. That is, what's normal, natural, or common varies by race, class, gender, and more. For instance, if I was to compare my compact car to a TARDIS, you would understand what I meant only if you were a Doctor Who fan. That is, if you were in the Doctor Who social group. So if your vehicle doesn't work, you're going nowhere. There are vehicles you want to watch out for. Why? Because these can unintentionally require knowledge or experience that are specific to a social or cultural group. Another recent editorial from BMJ points out the dangers of overgeneralizing across populations and the importance of using culturally relevant metaphors. They caution against the use of food-based metaphors because food is so culturally specific. Now, food-based metaphors are the most common in medicine. For example, a peaches and cream complexion, port wine stains, sausage digits. I'm not sure I could tell you the color of a port wine stain, and I drink wine. But why do you want to get rid of these vehicles? Because you want people to understand your metaphor's meaning. Also because cultural mismatches in speech and language patterns in institutions are a source of negative outcomes for the people involved, as found in research based on culturally relevant, culturally sustaining pedagogy over the last 30 years. These theories inform these recommendations. So what are they? Let's steer clear of holidays, celebrities, music, movies, television, history, and geography, vacations and other leisure time activities or hobbies, and jokes or other figurative language. Now, some of this may sound like I'm splitting hairs, so let's give an example. Vacations. Seems innocent enough to talk about, right? Now, I grew up in a large working class family. When I was a teenager, if you had asked me what a vacation was, I certainly could have told you, but they were not part of my life. My family took day trips. We went to the shore. So the idea of getting away by plane, perhaps, and staying a few days in a hotel was not part of my experience until I was an adult. And yet this is what's often implied by vacation. It's not that I wouldn't have understood the analogy or metaphor, but it would likely have had a different meaning to me than perhaps the one you were counting on. Also, I likely would have spent some time trying to figure out what I might be missing in your point because I was not myself a vacation taker. And all that time, I wouldn't have been listening to you. Holidays are similar. Now, it's not hard for someone to know what, for instance, a Christmas tree looks like and picture one, even if they don't celebrate Christmas. Could you use a Christmas tree analogy? Sure, but your meaning could be obscured or dulled based on a patient's experience. I recommend caution building metaphors around topics that are, by nature, emotionally charged, such as sex, politics, and religion. Now, these wouldn't necessarily be cultural mismatches between you and your patient, though they can be, but these topics tend to elicit strong feelings, and those strong feelings, and any conversation on the topic, could either powerfully illuminate or entirely overshadow the meaning of your metaphor. If this is a chance you're willing to take, I just suggest you proceed with caution. Now, there's caveats for all of the suggestions I've just made, but above all, be aware of the assumptions you're making about your patient. If you must use a food metaphor, consider, for instance, 
what are you assuming about the kinds and quantities of food that your patients eat, have access to, prepare, or enjoy? And in this way, using effective metaphors also lets your patients know you see them and hear them as people and as members of communities. Figurative language is beautiful and powerful when it works, but it is tricky and culture-specific. Your metaphor hinges on what's common between you and your audience. And remember, what's common varies by social groups. You don't want your metaphor or analogy to disadvantage some of your patients just by virtue of who they are. So when in doubt, use the concrete. Focus on explaining things in simple terms. Visit healthcommunicationpartners.com and join in this conversation. I'm Dr. Amory Liebel. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication from Health Communication Partners, LLC. Find us at healthcommunicationpartners.com.